Has your faith journey been more of a challenge than you expected? Does it look different than you imagined after years of having stronger faith? Have you wondered if you'd make it through your faith crisis and struggled talking about it even to your spouse or your close friends or your family? My friend, you are not alone. I've worked with many clients through their faith journeys, their faith crises, and faith transitions, and I've gone through the same things myself. In this episode, you'll learn about Fowler's stages of faith development and about what you can do to navigate your own challenges without shame or guilt and still do what will bring you lasting joy and fulfillment. Let's get started. I'm Kendra Nielsen. Welcome to Fulfillment Therapy, where you will improve your relationship with yourself, your loved ones, and with God. You'll find healing, wellness, crucial mindset shifts, and self-development help. I'm a licensed therapist, personal trainer, and coach. In this podcast, you'll learn the skills and confidence needed to transform your life from merely surviving to living a fulfilling, flourishing life. You can't reach your God-given potential and become who you were meant to become by remaining where you are. If you're ready, we'll create an ignited life you can't wait to wake up to. And yes, it's possible. It's your time to shine, my friend. Hello and welcome to episode 11, Faith Journeys. Navigating Faith Crises and Understanding Fowler's Stages of Faith Development. So I've wanted to speak on faith since before I even launched this podcast, but it can be a really challenging topic. It's one that I'm really passionate about, but it also feels pretty vulnerable. And maybe part of that is because faith is such a charged topic for so many people, like politics, for example. And we're culturally taught to avoid talking about those things publicly. And I don't know how much, even now as I talk about this, to share about my own faith journey. I think I'll just follow my inner guide here and pray that I'll have the right words to speak and that this will be beneficial and that ultimately you won't feel alone in your own faith journey or your own faith crisis or your own faith development. I've mentioned before that one of the eight domains of wellness is spirituality. And many places in America, and probably the world, dance around that topic of spirituality and religion, but we also know that it's a major benefit to people who want to improve their mental health and their wellness. This has been shown in a lot of studies, and I think it's largely why there's currently such a big mindfulness and meditation movement, because we're missing that. A lot of people are. When I bring up, and I think I've mentioned this before, when I bring up spirituality or anything like that, to clients to see if they have that balance. They look at me kind of confused and really are very childlike in their understanding of what spirituality can be. Many of my clients have found some of that peace and that tranquility or that acceptance in non-religious ways, just like I'd mentioned, like mindfulness or meditation or something like that. And I'm honestly glad that they found elements of peace wherever they can. That is so necessary, and we need more of that. And I wholeheartedly support those things, whether that be yoga, whether that be 
insight timer, whatever that is, just um, quiet, however they can find that peace and that tranquility. In my opinion, it's almost like that good, better, best concept that uh, one leader in the church, um, Dallin H. Oaks, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints had talked about before. He talked about this concept of good, better, best. And I'm going to share a story that he shared. A childhood experience introduced me to the idea that some choices are good, but others are better. I lived for two years on a farm. We rarely went to town. Our Christmas shopping was done in the Sears Roebuck catalog. That takes you back, right? A long time ago. <laughs> I spent hours poring over its pages. For the rural families of that day, catalog pages were like the shopping mall or the internet of our time. Something about some displays of merchandise in the catalog fixed itself in my mind. There were three degrees of quality. Good, better, and best. For example, some men's shoes were labeled good, like $1.84. Some better, $2.98. And some best, $3.45. As we consider various choices, we should remember that it is not enough that something is good. Other choices are better, and still others are best. Even though a particular choice is more costly, its far greater value may be the best choice of all. So why am I reading that to you? And what does that have to do with spirituality and religion? I've navigated a lot of faith struggles with my clients, and I have also done that personally. I've thought a lot about what's good and what's better and what's best even. And just like Elder Oaks talked about, some choices are of far greater value and may make it the best choice of all. So this episode isn't to tell you what's best for you, but to share stories and insights and have you decide that for yourself because the power is in you. You know what is best for yourself. And every episode is, is really designed to help you pull that out and to trust in that inner guide more and more. And that inner guide has lots of names, right? So I first started to have smaller faith struggles after about 10 years of marriage. That seems like that key year that a lot of people struggle. This is when our family had been stretched to our maximum, like I talked about before. And my faith struggles at that time were probably relatively small, but they were beginning. I think it began with me looking for a Latter-day Saint podcast, strangely enough, <laughs> and I found one called Mormon Stories. And for some of you, they, you know the background of that, but others of you may not know about that. But it appeared to be a faith-based podcast, but after a few episodes, I found myself much more confused. The host of this claimed to be, um, I think, a faith transitions coach. But after listening to a few episodes, I found myself filled with so many more doubts than I ever started with. Because he didn't explain the doubts he, he brought up, he just made a laundry list of them. Now over the years, I've found that most of these have very simple explanations, but those were not ever addressed, so I was just left with them. And I was nervous to even look things up about them because I didn't know what else I, I would find, and honestly that scared me a little bit. Well, the host was eventually excommunicated, and I don't really know his personal story or even his reasonings, so I'm not going to go into that. That's not what this episode is about. The reason I bring him up is because we have the power to build or tear down, even when we may not think that we do. And I want to make sure I'm treating the topic of faith respectfully and carefully so that I don't unknowingly damage faith as I talk about challenges people may face, whether in this episode or future episodes. So I'll always talk about faith carefully 
and respectfully. And if I ever do not, please reach out to me and I will try to fix that in any way that I can. So after listening to Mormon's stories, I started to have some of those seeds of doubt. I just noticed them and I tried to keep an open heart and mind. And I think I navigated it pretty well until my next challenge, which I also want to share carefully and respectfully because it's not just my story. I mentioned um, how I have six siblings. Well, three of my brothers left the church as soon as they graduated from high school. My three sisters married in Latter-day Saint temples, and I think they had a testimony of the Latter-day Saint church, as far as I could tell. But after many years, um, two of my sisters left the church, followed closely by the third. And I, looking back, I don't think I handled that as well as I would have now, I believe. I had a lot of fears, and as it continued, I responded better and better. But I wish I knew what I knew now, and I'll go into that later. But what was once a family culture was no longer my family culture. And not only that, but many of my closest friends started leaving the church. I think there is a, and even still, there's this movement of um, shedding spirituality or at least religion and not believing in God as much anymore. We're seeing that all over. So as my siblings left and as my friends left, I never realized how much these things would affect me because I had to explore my beliefs at a level that I had never expected. It wasn't just a family culture and I wasn't going through the motions anymore. I really couldn't. Only my mom was left in her similar beliefs. I felt very alone and confused in ways I did not expect. There were times when I wondered if it would just be easier to walk away, especially when I felt misunderstood or judged or left out by my new family culture. And to be fair, I think they had felt that way many times before for me. So it, a lot of struggles on both sides, I'm sure. My third challenge came in a way you might expect if you've listened to previous episodes. It was graduate school. I was still faithful when I started graduate school, and I'd always tried to read my scriptures and pray daily, and I attended church, I accepted callings, I kept my temple covenants, and I knew from watching friends that higher education often diminished their faith. And even my husband warned me of that because he'd experienced it himself a little bit. And I told myself, I refuse to let that happen, and I'm going to prepare for it, and I'll be fine. Well, that's what I naively thought. So when I went through my program, I felt like everyone mocked God and everything religion stood for. Now, this was usually done very subtly, but not always. This view was everywhere. And while I was in the middle of it, it seemed to come from every student, teacher, and worker. But I later discovered that there were people there who did believe in God, but they were too afraid to discuss their beliefs because of all that animosity. Now, I wholeheartedly say here that I do recognize that some of this was just a perceived fear because of some of the big feelings, especially in the beginning. There were some occasions when I shared my feelings and opinions and they were responded. The response was with kindness and understanding, especially a little later in the program when, when they knew me better. But mostly I just felt discouraged and hurt by their responses. There was even this memorable occasion when one student cried and screamed at me in front of the class and in front of everyone. 
because of what Christians do to people. And honestly, I did not even know what she was talking about. And I later found out that it had something to do with some political issue that was going on. But I was the only one that talked more openly about my beliefs. So that, that disdain and that anger was directed at me. And I felt so alone. I felt so misunderstood. And I hated that the university claimed to be unbiased. But any other belief other than theirs, other really than that far left, were shut down and mocked when they were talked about. It actually reminded me a lot of what they were teaching us in school then about microaggression and about racism and all these things, these prejudices. And what they were teaching, I felt like I was living. But when I tried to share that, I was very much invalidated. And this was a counseling program. It was so discouraging. And the worst part is that it did affect my faith. Over time, I think I adopted some of their views. Now, not all of these were bad. And I think many of them helped me be more compassionate and understanding. But many of them didn't. And I don't even know exactly what those things were, only that my faith dimmed. I began to doubt more, and I started to see more flaws and defects in religion, in my church, and others in my marriage. <laughs> so those previous minor doubts suddenly felt bigger, and they felt like tiny paper cuts almost, and those paper cuts took a toll on my faith. And in the end, I felt spiritually weak. I think I adopted a more cynical and problem-focused mindset throughout that. And I started to minimize faith without even realizing it. So I'm really glad that I did graduate faster. I'm not saying that if I didn't, I would have left religion behind completely. I don't know. I don't think so. But I got out of there quickly and I nursed my wounds for a while. Slowly, my testimony returned, but it took effort and patience with myself. It took humility. It took me tuning out both religious and non-religious opinions and just listening to myself and doing what I intuitively felt would bring me lasting peace and joy. My friends, this was a long process. It took a couple of years, and even today, I'm not sure if I'm as strong as I once was, but I also know that I'm stronger in other ways. I think I'm more resilient, and I think I needed to go through that. As much as I do not want other people to go through that, I think that I needed to, to be able to help the people I'm supposed to help. I always want to bring this back to why. Why am I telling you this? Well, I'm telling you this because I want you to know that if, if you have had any of these experiences, you are not alone. You are not bad. You're not damaged. You're human. And this is all part of our human experience. So maybe you've decided to leave your church, whether that be the Latter-day Saint church or something else. Maybe you've lost your belief in God, or maybe you've caved under the ridicule of others. Whatever it may be, you are not alone. I felt like I often stood up for my beliefs, but there were, there were many times that I did not. It became too lonely and too frustrating and too unsafe for me to do so. And maybe you have some similar shame for that. I don't know. Throughout this process, I think it was even before grad school, actually, I was reading the book Worth the Wrestle by Sherry Dew, and this book helped a lot. She really normalized having questions. 
and doubts are often questions. It's okay and it's normal to have questions and even concerns, and you don't need to feel guilty about that. Sherry Dew said the following, Asking inspired questions leads to knowledge. It leads to revelation. It leads to greater faith. And it leads to peace. Not asking questions, on the other hand, closes off revelation, growth, learning, progression, and the ministering of the Holy Ghost. So if you're not a Latter-day Saint, the Holy Ghost is just another word for the Spirit. We can ask questions without guilt and recognize that this is how we can find greater peace and not by ignoring those questions. In her book, Sherry Do also shared a story about how she was trying to help a young woman in her faith struggles, and this is what she said. I told her, meaning this young woman, bring your scriptures and every question you have. Questions are good. Let's see what the Lord will teach us together. During one of our study sessions together, as she threw a steady stream of questions at me, I asked her if she was asking questions against a backdrop of faith or one of doubt. I'm going to say that part again against a backdrop of faith or one of doubt. In other words, are you saying, here's something I don't understand, so the gospel must not be true? Or are you willing to say, here's something I don't understand, but I wonder what the Lord or his prophets will teach us about this? Are your questions asked with the assumption that there are answers? Are you willing to trust the Lord and give him the benefit of the doubt? End quote. So that, again, is by Sherry Dew in the book Worth the Wrestle. I just love that. Like, is it from a backdrop of faith or is it from one of doubt? And are your questions asked with the assumptions that there are answers? And are you willing to trust and give the Lord the benefit of the doubt? There's another book I was reading, I think it was called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I couldn't find the quote, but I loved it. I don't even think, I don't even know what religion he is. But basically, he's like, you don't have to run to another religion or do this or that to find it. You can find the answers within yourself and where you are at. So I just encourage you to not instantly jump ship if you're faith has provided you that peace and that assurance, just be willing to sit in that for a little bit and explore that. In my experience, in that period of time in my life, I wasn't trusting the Lord, but I was looking with a critical and problem-focused eye. It also kind of reminds me of my couples that would come in for counseling, and no matter what good there was in their relationship, they couldn't see it because of the problems they'd chosen to focus on and to fixate on. And to magnify. So wherever you are on your faith journey, do you feel that you've truly gotten still and searched deeply for what will give you the most peace and the most joy? And will this give you and your loved ones more joy? Are you making this decision from a place of hurt by focusing on doubts and problems? And have you really sought answers and not just let those doubts fester? One, one quote I came across says, your faith can move mountains and your doubt can create them. And that was anonymous. I'm going to read that again. Your faith can move mountains and your doubt can create them. So have your doubts created mountains in your life that have decreased your faith? And if they have, again, you're not alone. 
that happened to me as well. And like I said, my clients. But there is a path that leads to greater peace. And I know you will discover it if you're willing to do the work. I've seen many clients say that they put in the work, but when we talk about it, they've simply grown complacent. They stop seeking, they stop reading or praying or attending church or doing that rigorous work to find those spirit-led answers. Friends, you cannot expect fruit when you haven't cultivated your garden. It was the same for me. Maybe in your mind you're saying, I did those things and they didn't work. Again, so did I for years and many times, honestly, and people don't always say this, I just didn't feel a lot. It was very confusing. So what did I do? What do my clients do? We mix it up. We tried something new. We doubted our doubts before we doubted our faith. That's something that President Uchtdorf says. Dieter F. Uchtdorf, doubt your doubt before you doubt your faith. So I started listening to conference talks for a while instead of just reading scriptures because I was, I was just going through the motions with the scriptures. So I, I changed that. I tried praying differently, like almost making it like a prayer journal or I opened my eyes or I did it more like a meditation session. I did it out loud. I did it outside. I did it on walks. Uh, sometimes I skipped church classes and I journaled instead and didn't worry about the shoulds and supposed tos. And I just tried to listen to my inner guide and I kept focusing on faith and giving myself that patience and that love and that validation and acceptance that I needed. If nobody else could give it to me, I could at least give it to myself. So my couples that focus on the problems and say glued to them, they don't find that peace and healing. Often they choose divorce because their hearts aren't open and they aren't willing to do the work and to keep trying until they find what works best. I was willing to do the work, but I had to be patient. So if this is you, please try to have an open mind and hear me for a second. Try to remember the victim cycle that I talked about in previous episodes and try to stay above the line without making excuses or justifications. I'm not trying to give you trite answers here. Like I said, I've been there myself and I still go back and forth at times. Now, if you were in my office, I'd have really great empathy for you and compassion for what you are going through. I'd try to help you navigate your journey so that you can find what works for best for you and do that without shame because shame often gets in the way of healing. I'd help you work through your blocks and your barriers and your wounds that are preventing you from feeling the peace that you are looking for. But I know that all of you cannot be in my office and I can only share my journey and the journey of my clients and hope that it helps. Hope that it's that small step that will teach you what you need to do, what you want to do. I don't always like the word need. (laughs) So I won't fit all of the answers into one episode, unfortunately, and I'll revisit Faith more in future episodes. But again, I just want you to know that you are not alone. It is okay to have doubts. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to have questions. I do believe in God. This is a faith-based podcast, so I'm not going to shy away from that belief. Maybe you don't believe in God, though. Maybe that's part of your journey right now, and that's okay. Wherever you're at, I will take you. I will accept you. I will love you. I still hope you show up and take away what you can to help you in your faith journey. 
even if it looks a little different from others. Make finding that true peace a major priority because it will shape everything else that you do. Many clients end up leaving their faith in God behind and say they feel more peace. But as we go deeper in session, they find resentful wounds are still there and festering. And that often cause their loss of faith. So go find a way to heal because this more than anything else will help you find lasting fulfillment and joy. Now, not many therapists will talk about religion because, well, even me, I'm going to include myself in that. Most of us are scared because no one really knows what's okay to talk about and what it's not when it comes to ethics because they kind of scare you and make you think that you're going to lose your license over everything. But it really is okay and it's appropriate to talk about faith and spirituality and therapy. Obviously, you do so with a, an appropriate lens where you're not trying to convert them or guide them in a way that that is not healthy for them or anything like that. But I will talk about anything that will help them find that peace in their lives. And even though religion and faith is very taboo in public, it's also one of the best tools we can utilize to create a more fulfilled and balanced life. Now, I want to briefly go over James Fowler's stages of faith development. It can be kind of complicated, but I'm going to simplify it a lot. I looked at several videos and things online, but I will create a link of the one that I found that was uh, the easiest to sum up, and I'm going to share some of those thoughts with you. But before I go into it, I do want to say that this is just one theory. This does not have to be gospel. This is not doctrine. But it does help sometimes take away that shame as you feel yourself moving through different stages and helps you understand that, you know what, maybe this is more normal and natural. And also, this does not have to be linear. It can You can be going up and down in these things, and that's okay. It actually reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy a little bit, too, that as we move up that pyramid or through these stages, at the end is very much that that um, fulfillment or that altruism that comes, which I'll get to in a minute. So in this little handout that I found, it's I'm just going to go through the six stages and tell you what it says. So stage one is considered the toddler or preschool age generally. Spirituality is defined mostly by parental behavior and attitudes. Fantasy and reality often become confused in this stage. So the second stage is mythical or literal. I'm just going to say stage one, stage two from now on. This is school age and beyond where people begin to think logically but tend to understand the stories of their faith community in very literal ways. And the third stage is adolescence and beyond where people find it difficult to think outside of their religious box and they tend to accept the authority of their faith tradition absolutely. And again here I want to say like I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing but almost like in parenting sometimes you have so much faith in your parents and then you recognize somewhere along the line that they are human too right so stage four is young adult and beyond where people begin to think critically and examine and question their beliefs so they might become more disillusioned during this stage with some of their religious traditions so this reminds me of like college-age kids often right stage five is adult and this is Rarely, this rarely occurs before middle age, where people begin to recognize the limits of their logic and accept paradox. This is where they often return to sacred stories and have an appreciation for maybe the unknown or the mysterious or faith, really. 
the last stage is universalizing it. Like I mentioned earlier, this is more that altruistic stage. And this is adults, often later in life. And for those that reach this final stage, they're able to fully integrate their faith into their lives and really focus on serving. And they value that community over their self. So you think about big leaders like Mother Teresa, Gandhi, like different people like that, where it's all about other people instead of this coming from this place of unhealthy giving, but this this enlightened, altruistic state. So those are the different stages. And again, these are not linear necessarily. You can go up and down and do different things. The thing, like I said, that I do appreciate about it is that it is somewhat normal to go through this questioning stage. It is somewhat normal to put things aside and maybe come back to it or to really be focused more on logic at some point and then the other point you realize there's more heart in it and you need to combine both your heart and mind and you can have some paradoxes you can have very strong beliefs and recognize that your neighbor might have slightly different beliefs but that doesn't have to destroy your own faith that there can be room for both of those and what they did say, again, I don't know if I made this clear, is that many people never make it to those higher stages. Many of them are stuck in that black and white rigid thinking and find it really hard to move outside of that ever. And anything else is totally unacceptable for them. So it might be hard to talk to somebody like that if you are in a different stage and you think, how can we be in the same church? Like, I cannot accept that that thinking and I won't be any part of it. Well, the truth is they are in a totally different stage and you will find people in all different stages in whatever religion you're in and that does not have to destroy you. So remembering that often brings peace. So I know this is a little bit longer of an episode. I apologize for that. But very briefly, stage one is those images and those stories. Stage two is limited to concrete thinking. Stage three is more of a commitment to the church and its leaders, just like it would be to parents, right? Stage four is focusing on your personal faith. And stage five is an awareness of perspective. And stage six is more that transforming altruistic process. I just want to end with a few quotes from Sherry Dew. I just love her stuff. This is one thing she says. Um, Try to listen closely. Are you willing to engage in the wrestle? in an ongoing spiritual wrestle. If we want to grow spiritually, the Lord expects us to ask questions and seek answers. We live in a soundbite world where tweets, likes, posts, and shares have become the way we keep informed and share ideas. We are accustomed to expecting instant answers, but the most compelling questions in our lives rarely have quick, easy Google answers. That is because receiving revelation and gaining knowledge particularly divine knowledge, takes time. It takes a wrestle. And then one last one by her. Winning wrestlers learn to leverage their strength to subdue, overpower, and defeat their opponents. Spiritual wrestling leverages the strength of true doctrine to overpower our weaknesses, our wavering faith, and our lack of knowledge. Spiritual wrestlers are seekers. There are men and women of faith who want to understand more 
than they presently do and who are serious about increasing the light and knowledge in their lives. So if you're serious about growing in light and knowledge, do the things you know will bring you greater light and knowledge. Focus on the 1%. I know I always say that, but please do that. Pray for an open, soft heart and pray to be able to take ownership so that you can grow. For some of you, this may not be religious. And for those that are religious, then this might be seeking answers and doing more of the work to produce faith rather than passively waiting for answers to come to you or just growing complacent. Whatever it is, commit to your 1% and share it with an accountability partner. Don't put it off because spiritual growth is one of the best investments you will ever make. Thank you for listening today, my friends. I hope this strengthened you and helped you in some way. If you think this will help a friend or a loved one, please share this episode on social media or through a text or anything else. Please help me help other people grow and help them become their true and their best selves. As always, visit me on fulfillmenttherapy.org, not .com. That would be a different website. To sign up for my 12-week course called Igniting Life. If you haven't been successful sticking to goals yet and you know you need greater accountability and tools and professional guidance, this is definitely for you. And it begins August 20th, but like I said before, space is limited, so please sign up soon. Have an amazing week, and I'll see you back here very soon. Remember that I post new episodes on Mondays and Thursday mornings, so I'll see you back here in a few days. If this podcast has helped you gain the insights and skills needed to propel you towards transformation and joy, the number one way to help me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Like you, I'm striving to become my higher self by helping others thrive. And I do that most effectively if you use your influence and give a review. Share this episode with a friend or share it on social media and let others know how it has helped you. I would be so very grateful and excited that we're creating positive ripples in so many lives. If you want to connect, you can find me on Fulfillment Therapy on Facebook and Instagram or go to fulfillmenttherapy.org. Thanks for listening and shine boldly and brightly, my friend.